What a great way to start 2013. How's it going for you so far? You kept those uh, New Year's resolutions for the first six whole days of the year. Anybody done it? If you have, you've beat the average, I'm pretty sure, of what people typically do. It's important, I think, at the beginning of the year to look back on the past year and kind of celebrate what happened last year and kind of remember those milestones in life. We had several milestones in the West Church family uh, last year. Um, my Andrew is our one-year-old, and Andrew took his first steps in 2012. And now he has joined the world of walkers. His life has dramatically changed, but let's be honest, his mother and father's life has more dramatically changed as we have three to chase around now. And of course, he's into everything. Evan just uh, turned three um, a couple weeks ago, and Evan left behind diapers and pull-ups in 2012. That's a huge milestone, you know? We're thrilled about this. But one thing he won't leave behind is sucking the thumb. Um, he said to me, I said, Caleb, Evan, when are you going to stop sucking your thumb? And he said, when I'm free and I'm a big boy. And so on his third birthday, I said, he was sucking his thumb. Evan, I thought you were going to give up your thumb when you turned three and were a big boy. No, silly, I'm going to stop sucking my thumb when I'm four. And so uh, <laughs> we got some exciting milestones coming up in 2013. Uh, Caleb's our oldest, and Caleb's doing that magical thing where he sees letters and they turn into words in his head. He's starting to read. And so Rachel was driving down Highway 1 in West Columbia the other week, and Caleb's looking out the window, and he goes, fat, fat boy. Mommy, does that sign say fat boy? Is what he said, you know, over in West Columbia, the restaurant. He thought it was hilarious. So um, pretty big milestones in the life of the West Church family in 2012, and I'm sure it was for you as well. But the shout heard round the world was in October, whenever my family and Rachel's family gathered at our house to find out what baby four would be, a boy or a girl. And it was a shout when they realized it's going to be a girl. And um, of course, my wife is thrilled to have a girl coming into our family in 2013, but nobody's more thrilled, I think, than my mother. Uh, she has, this will be her seventh grandchild and first granddaughter. So Mimi finally gets to buy pink, and she's thrilled about that. But um, I, I, as we stand and look forward to the next year, um, I'm hopeful that this year will be even greater. And I'm hopeful it will be the same in your life. You know that this year would be the banner year for you and your family and your life so far. On New Year's Day, I gathered with a group of our college students in Atlanta at the Georgia Dome for a, the Passion Conference. 60,000 plus college students there representing over 2,000 college and university campuses from 54 different countries. And on New Year's Day this past week, they gathered to celebrate one thing, and it's the name of Jesus Christ. And I know as you kind of enter into this year, and you maybe think about the situation we find our world in, but there's a whole lot of hope because of the generation that's coming behind you. And I know that they're committed to making known the name of Christ here in their community, but also around the world and seeing the, the, uh, God's kingdom justice flowing like mighty rivers into our world. And so while I was there, Louis Giglio, the founder and um, director of Passion Conferences, spoke a word that really resounded in my heart. He said at the beginning, on the first day of the year, he said, I believe in a God who does immeasurably more. And I thought, there is nothing better to hear on the first day of the year than I believe in a God who can do immeasurably more. Do you believe that today? Do you believe in a God who can do immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine? Well, of course, that principle is rooted in Scripture. 
Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3, and he prays this formidable prayer. In verse 16 of Ephesians 3, we read, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide, how long, and how high, and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then as Holman puts it, he says, Paul ends his discussion of the mystery of the church and his prayer for power with a spontaneous burst of praise to God. And in the next couple of verses, you read what might be one of the greatest doxologies in the whole of the New Testament. And it's our passage for today, Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And that's what we're here today to do is to bring glory to the name of Christ. And it's kind of answered prayer here throughout all generations to give glory to God, the God who does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Teacher Arthur T. Pearson once said that there is a sevenfold measure of the power of God in Paul's benediction. First, God's able to do what we ask. Second, God's able to do all that we ask. Third, God's able to do what we think. Fourth, God's able to do all we think. Fifth, God is able to do above all that we ask or think. Six, he is able to do abundantly above all that we ask or think. And seventh, he is able to do exceedingly above and beyond all that we ask or think. According to Greek experts, this exceedingly abundant above, or as it's translated in my passage, immeasurably more, is the highest form of comparison imaginable. And so means immeasurably more than, quite beyond all measure, infinitely more than. And then the Greek expert, Kenneth Wiest, says that what Paul means is God is able to do superabundantly above and beyond what we ask or think, and then some on top of that. And he translates literally the verse this way when he writes, Now to the one who is able to do beyond all things, super abundantly beyond and over and above those things that we are asking for ourselves and considering. And Matthew Henry comments on this verse by saying, Whatever we may ask or think to ask, still God is still able to do more, abundantly more, exceedingly abundantly more. And that's the word for us as we head into 2013. We serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or think. And I think that same God wants to do immeasurably more in your life in this coming year. And I think that extends into all sorts of ways. I think in your relationships, God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly more or immeasurably more in your relationships, maybe in your marriage. And I know some of you probably walk into 2013 saying, I'll just be thankful if my marriage is still intact by the end of this year. But I believe in a God who can do immeasurably more than you could ever pray about in your marriage this year. Maybe you walk into this year with a broken relationship with a parent, or maybe a broken relationship with a child, or maybe for a child that you've been praying for for years and seen no fruit on it, so much so that you're ready to kind of give up on that, those prayers. Well, don't give up now, because I believe in a God who can do immeasurably more 
in that relationship and in that situation than you could ever think to pray. And as we all stand at the precipice of the fiscal cliff, we head into this year, I know some of you are fretting financially or vocationally. Maybe you're a part of that seven point whatever percent of unemployment or afraid you're about to be it. But I believe God can do immeasurably more in your vocational and financial situation. I believe in a God who can do immeasurably more in your family and among your friends and your community and your workplace. And I can believe that he can do and desires to do immeasurably more in our church. Now we have a lot to celebrate from 2012 whenever we look back and we think that he could do immeasurably more than that. In 2012, we, or right now we're kind of about to wrap up 16 months of some anniversary celebrations, beginning with our pastor's 25th anniversary as our pastor, 25th anniversary of the, uh, uh, the Carolina Celebration of Liberty, the Columbia Christmas pageant, about to celebrate 25 years with Steve Phillips, 20 years in our sanctuary, and all of those anniversaries and years, they amount to amazing things that God has done in and through our church, even this past year. When you think about in December in the Christmas pageant and how many thousands of people were presented with the gospel at the Christmas pageant. And I think about our Sunday school and Bible studies that are going on. We have some of the highest record attendance this past year in Sunday school that I'm able to locate. That's amazing. And I know last year we had more salvations in 2012 through our television ministry than we've ever had before. And I think about Team Impact back in September whenever 5,000 or so came to see that crusade. And I don't know, 100, 140 walked the aisle to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We've celebrated with many of them as they followed in believers' baptism. I mean, that's a lot to celebrate from 2012. But I believe in a God who can and desires to do immeasurably more in our church in 2013. How could we ever grasp or sum up what it is God might desire to do? Well, I heard somebody share an equation before that I'm going to share with you today through this sermon that might be a way for us to determine what God might aspire to do through, through Columbia's First Baptist Church. The first variable in the equation is determined by asking the question, how much has God blessed us as a church? Jesus once said, and it's recorded in Luke, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So the obvious question is, would we be those that fall in that category? Would our congregation be one that falls into the category of to whom much is given? Because if so, there's much expected, right? Well, let's think about that for a second. And I think about where we are in our corner of the world and the fact that we have freedom to gather here and worship without any real sense of threat on our well-being. Now, it's easy to take that for granted and think that must be how it is in all of the world, but it's just not that way. But we have the freedom to gather here and worship without any real, real threat against us. Not only that, if you can't be here, you can tune in anywhere in the state of South Carolina and worship with us via television. And if that's not enough for you, you can tune in anywhere in the world via the internet and worship with us at any moment. That's an amazing responsibility and an amazing blessing that God's put here at this church. And I think back on our history. You know, the church is over 200 years old, been worshiping in or near this block for 200 years, and the lives that have walked through here and the impact, impact that this church has had in this community. I think about certain leaders that have been here before, like our first pastor, William Bullion Johnson, who had so much impact in bringing the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world in his time. He left his imprint here at this church. And I think about James P. Boyce, started the, the uh, Southern Baptist Seminary, and he left his imprint here. And all sorts of pastors, Charles Burtz, Albert Naylor, the Rebecca Naylor, of course, and 
um, Edwin Young, and of course the fact that we have our pastor who's been here 26 years. That's a rare gift that we have, that he's been here that long. And he has the gift of experience and knowledge and seeing and doing and knowing. And not only that, then we start summing it up by bringing all of us in here together and trying to add up what it equals to. And all of your vocational experiences, of your educational background, of the number of years that are represented of people walking with Jesus Christ in here in this facility today. And you think, man, that amounts to so much. And I think about the technological advancements in our generation that have allowed us to have so many resources at, the, at our fingertips. And I think about the financial wherewithal of this congregation when we come together and use all of that for a force for God's kingdom in this world. And you think, that is so much that God's given us and God's blessed us with. And I think about your talents and I think about the Holy Spirit's gifts that he's provided you with. And you just pull all of that together and you try to come up with a number of saying, okay, if we were to measure that and say, how much has God blessed us? Let's put it on a scale of zero to off the charts. Where would you say it falls on that scale as far as God's blessing in this congregation? Off the charts, right? You can participate. Zero to off the charts. I think it's got to be somewhere at the off the charts level that God's blessed us here in this church and in this congregation. So that's our first variable in our equation of determining what God might want to desire to do in and through our church. The next variable in our equation is determined by asking the question, what are the spiritual needs of the people in our community? Now we actually have measurable data on this. The Association of Religious Data Archives, or the ARDA, has provided us with some surveys to tell us what it's like here in Richland County with regards to maybe some sort of spiritual measurement. They say that only 20% of people in Richland County are members of or adhere to the teachings of an evangelical Protestant church. Only 20% would say, I'm a member of. That doesn't mean they necessarily are even involved in. It doesn't mean they're actually walking in or serving in. But they claim membership in it. The most staggering figure of all, according, that I think, according to Arda, is that almost 50% of the people in Richland County claim no membership in or adherence to any church in our community. That's almost one in two that say, no, I have no affiliation with any church. Well, that's measurable data. But I think on a uh, personal level, what about you? I want you to think for just a second of all the people that you love and that you know and that you care for. These could be people in um, your spheres of influence, whether workplace, neighborhood, classmates, um, whether it's family or friends or whoever it might be. Of all the people that you know, can you think of at least one person that you're concerned for their spiritual well-being? Let's do this for a second. I want you to show by, by raising your hand, if you can think of at least one person that you're concerned about. There's somebody that you love, that you care for, that you know that you're concerned about their spiritual well-being in your life. Just show us by raising your hands. And just look around. What's the spiritual need in our community? And whenever we start looking through God's eyes, whenever he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that means for God so loved the Midlands of South Carolina, right? That means that you'll never run into anybody in our community for whom Christ didn't go to the cross for. And you start thinking about that and you're like, if he was here participating, how many people would he be raising his hand for? And I think about the way that he might see our community when he looks down. And he looks down and sees all of the broken families. 
And he looks down and sees the thousands and thousands of college students that are at the campus five blocks from here that have no clue why they're even on this planet. And you think about all the sexual promiscuity in our society and the sexual confusion. And you think of all of the arrogance and greed among the leaders that reside here in Columbia, South Carolina. And you think of all the cynicism and violence, the abuse and addiction, the self-loathing and loneliness. And that's what God sees when he looks in our community. And you were to think if he were to measure it, if we were able to put that on a chart of what the spiritual need is in our community, on a scale of zero to off the charts, what would you say the spiritual need is in our community? Off the charts. So now our equation has become off the charts blessing multiplied by off the charts spiritual need. And there's one more variable. Because the real level of human contributions is not determined by your gifts and your talents and your abilities. But when, when God gets involved with your talents and your abilities. And he uses them to whatever he might want to accomplish. Jesus is teaching a parable that's recorded in Mark one point. Where he says, some people hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30 or 60 or even 100 times what was sown. In other words, God takes the work and the contributions and the actions and the talents and the backgrounds of people and he blesses it in a way to accomplish what he would desire 30 times over 60 times over a hundred times what anybody could have ever guessed the influence and impact it would have made and so now you look at our church and you think okay by what multiplier would God desire to multiply our efforts and our work and our contributions and our talents to impact this community 30 60 100 truth is it doesn't matter (laughs) Because off-the-charts blessing by off-the-charts need multiplied by 30 or 60 or 100 times over, I think the only label we could come up for it is that I think God aspires to do immeasurably more in and through our congregation this year, in and through and around our community this year. Now, this is a really important thing for us to take hold of, I think, at the beginning of the year. Because otherwise, if we're not intentional, we're not specific, we don't label it, we don't, uh, you know, investigate it, there's a good chance we'll arrive at the end of the year having done nothing to be a part of the immeasurably more that God might want, might want to do. Back in October, on our 20th anniversary in the sanctuary, the pastor preached a message of vision. And he preached from 2 Kings 6, where um, the sons of the prophets uh, basically were looking to expand the ministry that was going on. And so they went to Elisha and they said, we need a bigger piece of property. We need to go somewhere else. He blessed it. And they said, would you go with us? He went with them. And you remember the son of the prophet was there chopping down a tree to build his own house with a borrowed axe. The axe head flies off. It ends in the water. He's fretting over it. Elisha comes over, tosses a stick into the water. And all of a sudden the axe head floats. You know, and I guess the point is, is that whenever people experience the vision of God and the leadership bless it, God shows up miraculously to prevent any sort of interruption to what he might want to do in and through that ministry and that activity. And the pastor's challenge to us was, I think as we move forward, that God wants to do more in and through our congregation that will be represented by more people walking the aisles and being baptized. And that will be represented by people plugging into our Bible studies and Sunday school because they're growing as far Because if we're going to move forward, that's what should be happening, right? And that more people would come and join and worship till it's overflowing in here. If we're going to move forward, that's what we need to see happen. And I think it might be exactly what God wants to do. Well, I hope whenever you heard that message 
that you thought, okay, what can I do? What should I do to be a part of that vision? Rather than thinking, I wonder if Wendell's going to be able to pull that off. You know, you should be thinking, how can I be a part of that? How can I contribute to that? How can I make myself available to God to see more people joining this church, more people getting saved, more people getting baptized to symbolize that death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, more people plugged into our Bible studies in Sunday school? I hope that's the question you asked yourself. Well, I was reading in 2 Kings 6 and 7, and I saw a narrative in there that I just thought would be the perfect story to kind of communicate to you what I feel we need to do. Um, it's really interesting, 2 Kings 6 and 7. You have to go back and read it. 2 Kings 6, right after this happened, the axe head floating, the iron floating in the water. Then um, Elisha and the servant, y'all know this story, the Elisha and his servant, uh, what happens is the king of Aram is kind of frustrated with Elisha, so he sends his army and his chariots, and they all gather around Dothan where Elisha is. The servant of Elisha walks out and sees this huge army, and he's like, what are we going to do? You remember this? And in verse 16 of Elisha 6, Elisha said, don't be afraid. For those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. And the servant's like, there's two of us, you know, a lot of them, you know. And Elisha prays a prayer in verse 17. Lord, please open his eyes and let him see. So the Lord opened the servant's eyes. He looked and saw that the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I think the message there is, if God's for us, who are we going to be concerned about, you know? If, you know, if God's in this and we're doing what we should be doing, then who are we going to be concerned about? Because God takes care of his people, you know? And there's greater as he who's in us than anybody else that could be in the world. And so I think that was the message. And then after this, the, uh, the army of Aram, they kind of go back in humiliation, embarrass the king of Aram. So much so he never sends his army to attack Israel again. But he has a successor who does. King Ben-Hadad of Aram brought all his military units together and marched up to besiege Samaria. This is still in 2 Kings 6. And if you think that the fiscal cliff is bad, let me tell you how bad it was in Samaria at this point. If you read through the passage, you'll find out that inside there, there was a famine and the city was now surrounded by the king, you know, the army. So much so nothing could get in, nothing could get out. And so they're starving inside and now they're not even eating the oats, peas, beans and barley or whatever would be served there. They're eating donkey head and dove dung is what scripture describes as being sold there. So it's, mom, what are we having for dinner tonight? Sliced donkey head and mashed dove dung, you know? Sounds great. Same thing we had last night, you know? <clears throat> That's what it was like inside of Samaria. They actually started turning to cannibalism. They were so hungry. So it's kind of an awful situation there inside of uh, the gates of the city of Samaria. But I want to share with you the story of four men that are described in 2 Kings 7 that experienced that whole famine and besiegement. And so I'm going to read to you from verse 3. It says, four men with a skin disease were at the entrance to the gate. They said to each other, why just sit here until we die? If we say, let's go into the city, we'll die there because the famine is in the city. But if we sit here, we will also die. So now, come on, let's go to the Arameans camp. If they let us live, we will live. If they kill us, we'll die. So the diseased men got up at twilight to go to the Arameans camp. You know, so you can imagine if it was very bad inside of the city gates of Samaria, and they're starving in there. Imagine the people that are begging at the city gates for the leftovers. And so they're so hungry. They're saying, okay, what are we going to do? We've got three really bad options. Option number one, let's go into the city. But there's famine. We'll probably die there. Option two, let's stay here. We'll die here. Option three, let's go over to the enemy camp where they hate us. We might die, but we might survive. So that's what they decide to do. They head over there. Verse 5b, when they came to the camp's edge, they discovered that there was not a single man there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean camp to hear the sound of chariots, 
horses and a great army. And what happened is they left behind all the tents, the food, the animals, the gold, the silver, the treasure, everything they had. They left it behind there at that camp because they were so scared. They thought the enemy was about to attack. Verse 8, when these men came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent to eat and drink. Then they picked up the silver, gold, and clothing and went off and hid them. They came back and entered another tent, picked things up and hid them. So it's kind of like they're saying, this is immeasurably more than we could have ever asked for or imagined. We imagine we die here in the Aramean camp. But instead, we've got abundance upon abundance. So they're running into a tent, stuffing themselves with everything they can eat and drink, taking the gold and silver, stuffing it in their pockets, running out, burying it. And they're going into another tent. They're eating everything they can, drinking everything they can, taking all of this treasure, going and burying it, going into another camp and doing it all over again until one of them, or at least one of them, comes to their senses. Verse 9, then they said to each other, we're not doing what's right. Today is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until morning light, our sin will catch up with us. Let's go tell the king's household. Now I'm going to cut to the chase real quick here. Because I think this is the best visual illustration of where we stand right now. Have you noticed all of the good things that we have in Christ? Have you noticed the sweet fellowship we have here in this church? Have you noticed the grace we have from Jehovah God? The mercy that's brand new every morning. The love that we experience from him and for him and for one another. That's just over. There's so much of it that we could just run in here and take it all in and enjoy and celebrate and then hide it away and leave until we come back next week and just take it all in and celebrate stuff, you know, just fill ourselves up with the fellowship and the love and the grace and the mercy, hide it away until we come back next week and just repeat the pattern all over again. You know, it was so obvious what the right thing was to do for those four lepers. Nobody had to say, should we pray about whether we should go tell them? Because there's cannibalism going inside the city gates. They're starving. No, it's real obvious what we should do. My proposition to you today, isn't that how obvious what the right thing is for us to do as recipients of the grace of Jehovah God, as joint heirs with Jesus Christ, as adopted sons and daughters of the Most High? It cannot be that we are to come in here and hoard all that we can and just fill ourselves up to overflowing And leave and hide it whenever 50% of Richland County claims no adherence or membership in any church in our community. Who else are we expecting to share that love with them? I mean, we're the ones who are experiencing that love to overflowing. We should be the ones who are sharing it. And I just imagine that all of heaven is just looking down on us and seeing the people that are spiritually starved in our neighborhoods, in our classrooms, in our workplaces. And they're saying, just tell them. Just share with them. Just invite them. Here's my fear. It's found in verse 9 whenever they says, we're not doing what is right. Today is a day of good news. And the leper says, let's go tell. And I think that's the message for us today. See, I think in 2013, we could experience immeasurably more as God works in and through our hearts and in this congregation. And I want to experience it. But how are we going to respond to that? Well, there's an invitation today. And the truth is we're all going to respond, right? We always respond. It's just how are you going to respond? And I'm going to encourage you to respond as the Holy Spirit's moving in your heart. But let me give you just a few suggestions of how you might respond. First off, some of you raised your hand for people that you know and love and care for. 
that you're concerned about their spiritual well-being? Let's not gather here next year and raise our hand for the same person having done nothing about it. So in a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And down front, our ministers and maybe some of the deacons will have a card and on it with four, four blanks in it where you can write down the names of four people in your sphere of influence that you're concerned about that you're going to start praying for and looking for opportunity to share with them in the coming weeks. And you're going to look for opportunity to invite them and encourage them and love them and show them Christ's love. That's one way that you could respond. Some of you may be thinking, I hope somebody writes my name down on that card because I got a huge spiritual need. Beloved, let's not put that off any longer. We have volunteers and staff here who would love to walk you through how you can be confident that you're a child of God today from the Word of God. And so when the invitation is offered, maybe you just need to walk the aisle to be confident that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. A third way you could potentially respond is maybe you've been kind of floundering around from church to church. Maybe you've been here for a long time. Maybe you've thought about joining, but you're kind of concerned about having to get baptized. That may be the next step for you. Rather than just going into 2013 like, ah, what are we going to do here? Why not lay your roots down here and say, I'm going to be committed to this church and I want this church to be committed to me. And I want to see God do immeasurably more in my life as I serve here and immeasurably more in this church and in our community as I serve alongside of it. There's all kinds of ways that you could kind of respond to this invitation. But the truth is, I just want you to listen to the Holy Spirit. How might he lead you today to respond? Now, you're all going to do it. You're all going to respond. It's just a matter of how. Lord Jesus, we thank you that at the outset of this year, we have so much to be grateful for. You have been so, so good to me. And you've been so faithful to this church. And God, of course, it's my hope that you've got more in store that we could never measure. And it's my belief that that's what you want to accomplish. So as we now consider this word, we pray that you, Holy Spirit, would have your way in our hearts. Have your own way in us. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.